Guess where? Any ideas? Nehemiah. What song? Ezra Nehemiah. Oh, the Bible, book, the books of the Bible. Yeah. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 6, as we continue through Nehemiah. Who has read Nehemiah, uh, the whole book? A couple have read all the way through. So you already know the spoiler is they built the wall. They finished the wall. We're in chapter 6 now, and that's what we're going to see has happened at this point. But that's not the big thing that we're going to focus on this morning, as big as it is. We've seen the leading up to this. We saw where it started. Nehemiah is working for Artaxerxes, chief of staff, high-ranking position. He hears about Jerusalem, a city he's never seen, a city he's never been to, but a city he loves dearly because his family was exiled. And thank God his parents taught him the word of God. So he has a love for God. He has a love for the city of God. And it, when Nehemiah found out about Jerusalem, it had been that way for about 150 years. So it wasn't like it happened three weeks back. It had been this way, but the Holy Spirit moves on Nehemiah's heart, and then Nehemiah doesn't just go, well, that makes me sad. I guess I'll just pray about it. But Nehemiah fasts and prays and gets favor and influence, and a pagan, wicked king sends Nehemiah with resources to do the Lord's work. And Nehemiah has been established now as governor under Artaxerxes. Nehemiah is now governor over Jerusalem and over this region So there's lots of governors who would really be enemies if we didn't have this overwatch happening. We would be enemies. We'd be at war with one another. But now Nehemiah's here, and opposition has come in. Opposition has come in from the outside, saying we're going to come and make war. Basically, we're going to bring terrorism while y'all are trying to build. And Nehemiah says, fine, everybody pick up a sword. We're going to keep working. Lord, help us. Nehemiah will pray and then act and pray and act and pray and act. And we've talked about that's what we are called to do. Am I just called to pray? Am I just called to act? There's temptations sometimes in either direction. I'll pray and do nothing. Well, prayer will lead me to action always. But the other temptation is to just lean on the arm of flesh. Let me just act. You just got to do stuff. You got to get in there and make something happen. No, I need to pray and then act. So we've seen this and the progress has continued. They ignored basically the threats from the outside. They prepared appropriately, but they didn't stop their work. And then opposition came from the inside where there is sin. There's discord between the people of God. They're, they're taking advantage. The rich were taking advantage of the poor. And Nehemiah rebukes them severely, humiliates the nobles, humiliates the, uh, the wealthy. He humiliates the prestigious, the leadership in Jerusalem. He calls them out in front of everyone and commands them and rebukes them, makes vows against them and threatens them before the Lord and says, you will make all of this right before the people. And they said, yes, we'll do it. And he says, and he empties his pockets and he says, may the Lord shake you out if you do not do what you said you will do. And they said, we'll we'll do it. We'll fix it. We'll make it right. So Nehemiah is showing the people, we're not just here to build a wall. We're here to build God's kingdom. This is what we're building. We want to restore the ways of the Lord. And yes, this wall is a representation of that. The temple had been rebuilt first. That's appropriate and good. And now let's continue to rebuild the city. But really what God is wanting to do is bring revival to his people. So the physical world, the physical dimension images the spiritual. So the physical world is not meaningless. The physical world is not no big deal. Beauty Beauty matters for a reason. There's a purpose to beauty. It's not just... That looks nice, but everything the Lord has done in the physical realm, it is to image the spiritual. 
They're not disconnected. We've been taught in the West that these are disconnected things. Well, my spiritual life is spiritual and physical life. It doesn't really matter and those things don't connect. It's nonsense. It's an unbiblical idea. So these things do matter and the Lord is bringing revival to his people. And now we have another issue coming up. So they threatened, they threatened with physical violence and now we're going to read Nehemiah chapter 6 uh, after we've suffered from external turmoil, internal turmoil, and now our enemies take a new tactic here to try and stop the work. Chapter 6 verse 1. Now when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Hecamphirim in the plain of Ono. There's your clue. That's actually what it's called, Hudson. That's the, that should have been a clue for Nehemiah right away. Like, this feels like a setup. Come, let us meet together in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should I stop the work? Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sambalat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That's why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem that there is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear. So, and now King Artaxerxes, and now the king will hear of these reports, Nehemiah. So now come and let us take counsel together. Come, let's talk about this, Nehemiah. I'm looking out for you. There's there's these stories going around, Nehemiah. Hey, let's talk. Let's work this out. I'm trying to help you before Artaxerxes hears that you're actually going to try and establish yourself as king. Verse eight. Then I sent to him saying, No such things that you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Now, when I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, and Methabalel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God. So now this is a prophet in the city of Jerusalem. And he's called for Nehemiah. When the prophet calls for you, you go. That's a good practice. So he goes to meet with him. But the prophet says this to him. Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. For they are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. Dear Lord, for this purpose, he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin so that they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. 
Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also remember the prophetess Nadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So there's a multitude of prophets who are not actually prophesying from the Lord, but they were prophesying against Nehemiah with lies intending to make him fearful. Verse 15, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. All this work, we're reading all this work, we're wondering how much time is passing. These walls, which archaeologists have told us, were probably about 40 feet high and 9 feet wide. This work was finished in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly. They fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ariah, and his son, Jenahanahan, just winging it, had taken the daughter of Meshullam, the son of Brekahiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence, and they reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. What's happening there? Tobiah has had his sons and his people marry in to the people of Jerusalem so that he has inroads and so that people have commitments to him and so that there are family bonds. This is sinful for the Jews to have done this, to marry off their daughters to these people. But they're, so they're coming and constantly speaking to Nehemiah saying, hey, Tobiah's a good guy. And they're reporting what's happening secretly back to Tobiah, what had been taking place. So that's the, the quick snapshot. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we come to your word with humility. We ask that you would open up our eyes to see and know and understand what you want us to see and know and understand from your word, from this thing that really happened, this historical event that actually took place, but also this thing that's living and active, your word that cuts us to the heart, that divides even between our soul and spirit. Also, how your word... And today we'll look at Nehemiah, but we're constantly going to be remembering and looking at Jesus, the greater Nehemiah, who doesn't just build one city, but he builds an entire kingdom and he takes over the entire universe, whose reign will never end, who no enemy could ever threaten or crush. No one can take his life from him. Only he could lay it down. Jesus, be glorified through your word today. In your name we pray. Amen. So in verses one through two here, Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab, they've heard, they've brought their physical threat. There's been inward turmoil and sin. Now the enemy makes another attempt to stop the work from finishing. Why? Because the gates haven't been put up yet. So the walls exist, but so what? If there's no gates, then enemies can come and go as they please. These other regional enemies of the Jews, again, all under Artaxerxes right now, so nobody can just do whatever they want. You can't just make war anymore, much like when the Romans were ruling over Jerusalem and all these and most of the world. You couldn't just go at war with each other. No, no, no. We're, the Romans are in charge now. Caesar decides who's who and what's what. We'll let you have your little groups, and you can hate each other, but uh, we're going to be in control of what happens. We make war. Uh, you don't do that. You don't have the authority to do that. So what does an enemy do whenever they can't make war against you? They wanted to, and they couldn't. They hoped to create turmoil on the inside. And the Lord destroyed it. Now what? This is typical for an enemy. They will intimidate. But once an enemy sees that you won't budge off of the righteous path, they then proceed to act reasonable. Under the guise of friendship even. They will say, hey, 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 you know what? 
I think we got off to the wrong foot. And meanwhile, you're still going, I didn't get off to the wrong foot at all. I've just been consistent and moving forward into the will of God. Uh, you made threats. I refused to budge. And now you're trying a different tact. You're trying a different angle. But your angle is still to bring me to compromise. They will say, okay, let's talk about this. They fake kindness and even friendship in an effort to manipulate. This is what Satan did with Jesus. So he he. He comes at him directly. Bow down and worship me is what Satan tempts the Lord Jesus to do. Throw yourself down from here. Turn these stones into bread. Satan comes with direct attacks to the Lord Jesus. Satan against Jesus. It wasn't a fair fight in the sense that Jesus is Jesus. But at the same time, it is a fair fight because Jesus was made flesh. And he did have real temptation. It wasn't an easy thing for him to swat aside. He was tempted in every way, the word tells us, as we are. But it's not questionable whether or not Jesus would succeed. But we see the same things happening with Nehemiah. We see the same things happening in our own lives. You've experienced direct attacks from the enemy. You've experienced direct betrayal. And then there can be a Judas, the person who's close, but the person who is uh, actually turns and doesn't love, doesn't love the things of God, doesn't love you, isn't looking out what's best for you. But then there's someone even closer at times, the Peter. Peter who does love you. And Peter is trying to help you. Peter is trying to preserve your life. No, 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 Lord, you can't go to the cross. You can't do that. So this, this comes in many forms. But every opportunity that comes to you is not an opportunity from God. Every invitation is not an invitation that the Lord has extended to you. There are places that the good shepherd is not leading you, saints. There are things, there are relationships, there are business arrangements. There are all kinds of things that the good shepherd has not led you to. Well, I feel like I should this, I feel like I should that. Well, seek the Lord because every good-looking opportunity is not necessarily a good-looking opportunity. Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, these are regional leaders. They want to meet with me. Maybe this is my moment. Maybe this is a great moment to build influence. Maybe this is the olive branch I need to extend to them. No, maybe you're going to get murdered in the, in the valley of, oh no, Nehemiah, and that's not where you're supposed to be. Maybe, maybe they want to kill you and then invade the city and then rule over the city to make sure that the Jews don't rise up in strength like the Lord has intended for them. So there are plenty of things that should not get your yes. There are plenty of things that do require your no. There are places that you don't belong, and there are places the good shepherd is not leading you. In verse 3, I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? This is a great principle. This is a powerful conviction that a Christian has to have when they're following the Lord. When you're doing the right thing, when you're doing kingdom work, this is the confidence, this is the conviction, this is the determination that you need. There will be many temptations, there will be many opportunities to stop the work, but you must continue. Why? For the one who sent you. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Well, that wasn't very nice, Nehemiah. No, it wasn't. Jesus isn't very nice. Nehemiah, thankfully, is not very nice, but he's very good. There's a difference between nice and good. Niceness says, I want to please people and I want people to like me. Goodness says, I'll do what the Lord wants. I won't deliberately offend, but I will not jump through hoops to not offend either. I want to make sure I don't offend the Lord. And if not offending the Lord does offend you, I can live with that. Will you hurt my feelings? I hear you. 
I'm sorry that your feelings were hurt, but I'm not sorry for pursuing the righteous thing of God. Nehemiah, please. They sent to him four times. Then they sent to him five times. Bro, 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 listen. Hey, man, same team. I'm looking out for you. I don't want Artaxerxes. I don't want this to get back to him. But you must continue for the one who sent you. In verse 5, in the same way, Sambalat sent for the fifth time his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. What's the significance of an open letter? Well, most correspondence would have been sealed to know that this is private correspondence between the two of us. So Chris sends his letter. He sends it with a runner. Maybe it's 30 miles away, horseback. You know, it may travel from one runner to another, from one town to the next. But the message will eventually get to me, and I can open it and know no one has seen this. That's likely what happened with those first four pieces of communication. This fifth one was an open letter. What's the significance there? What's happening? This is Sambalat and Tobiah saying to Nehemiah, hey, everyone has seen this now. This is them posting it on Twitter. This is them putting it on Facebook and knowing that everyone shared it along the way, and they want to instill fear. It's saying something without saying something. It's, oh, oh, I just, it was just a letter. It's plausible deniability. I mean, I just, no, it's just the letter. You know, I'm just sending you a letter. It's just, what? What? But what was the purpose? The purpose is to strike fear in Nehemiah because what was in the letter? Nehemiah, everybody's saying all this stuff. Everybody's doing all this stuff. So Sambalat and Tobiah, they want the gossips to get a hold of it along the way. They want it to go into the different towns. They want it to get back to Artaxerxes. That Nehemiah, Nehemiah's appointed a prophet. So that's the accusation. Nehemiah, You've appointed a prophet who's going to say, Nehemiah is our king. Nehemiah hadn't done any of that. All the things they were saying were total lies. But that's the significance. And when Nehemiah gets an open letter, whoo, maybe his blood pressure spiked. Maybe his heart started racing. And then as he's reading it, man, I see what they're doing here. It's very obvious what they're doing here. But they're still pretending, hey, we're for you, man. We're trying to fix this thing. We're, we're working with you. We got your back. They want to stab him in the back, but they most definitely don't have his back. Now, thankfully, they've already made some clear threats to him in the past. So it was easier for him to discern. But this is another level. This is when somebody is, blas- is, is blaspheming, clearly, plainly, deceiving, lying about you openly. Verses 6 and 7. In it was written, it's reported among the nations. It's reported among the nations. We've all heard that before. Hey, everybody's saying Who's everybody? That's usually the question that you should ask whenever you hear, they, you know, I've been hearing people, who's people? It's going to be like two people. Who's, who's everybody? Who, who's they all? Well, every, everybody's saying it. Oh, and Geshem. Oh, Geshem, the gossip, that moron. Yeah, I'm real worried about Geshem. Everybody's saying it's been reported among the nations. This is a fear tactic that the enemy will use again. Everybody's saying that. It's like this. Everybody's saying it's like that. Most of the time, the best thing you can do with those kinds of situations, saints, is to pull at that thread. Oh, who's everybody? Well, I, I shouldn't say. Oh, okay. So nobody. Is it you saying it? No, I've heard it said. Well, I can't move. I can't work with that. I can't do anything with that. And I'm certainly not going to jump through hoops because, quote, everybody's saying. And everybody wants me to do something. And again, when we're talking about issues of righteousness here, pulling me off of the path, pulling me off of the straight and narrow where the Lord has called me to be. Everybody's saying, and Geshem, they're saying, who's everybody? Who's they? Who's Geshem? It's usually just one enemy. Behind these things, there's usually just one enemy, and that one enemy has recruited other gossips. 
That's, a, that's oftentimes what your enemy will do. You've probably experienced that even just at a, at a social level in the past in your life. There's just, it's just one person. It's just so-and-so. They're the one who really hates you. And then you start to feel like it's everyone. and It's not. It's so-and-so. And, and then they recruit gossips to get involved in the work. Well, I heard. Well, I thought. Or maybe. But no, it's, it's reported among the nations. Or even worse, I saw it on Facebook. So-and-so shared it. It was in the, the, county, the county group. It was in the trash and treasure. I saw, I saw so-and-so said. I, I, I've been in those. I've been gossiped about in those, plainly and flagrantly lied about in those very groups. Everybody's saying it. It's not everybody. It's this moron, it's that liar, and it's this gossip. That's it. That's it. That's who it is. That's who it is. And what am I supposed to do about it? I can't control these people. I'm going to stay on the narrow path. I'm going to continue to follow King Jesus. And this is exactly what we see Nehemiah respond with in verse 8. Then I sent to him saying, No such things as you say have been done. You're inventing them out of your own mind. Nehemiah basically just says, No, it's just you. You're just a liar. And that's exactly what I did a few years back when I experienced the same thing. And I got some screenshots of what people had said to me. I just messaged them directly. I said, "Uh, This is an absolute lie. You are a liar. And... I'm praying that the Lord will remember what you have said about me and what you're doing against me. And then they blocked me from social media and I haven't heard anything about from it. Maybe they could have continued. They could have stopped. I don't know, but I can't control them. I just want to say, hey, I just want to plainly tell you you're lying. It's totally false. You know that. I know that. And the Lord knows it. And the Lord will defend me. And I trust and trust me when I say you don't want him against you. You want him on your team. And really, you want to be on his would be the better way to put it. So what's the best thing to do? Well, when you're strong in the Lord, you can say, nah, it's just you. You can say that. Don't take the bait. The enemy is not looking to reason with you or to protect you. Manipulators will pretend, to, I want to be reasonable. I'm just trying to connect. You're not, Chris, you're not even open to a conversation at this point. Well, you threatened to kill me before. And... <laughs> And I haven't forgotten that. I have a lot of red flags, as you would call them, in this relationship. So you're correct. Uh, But that's what a manipulator, that's what Satan will do. He's the father of lies. He doesn't make it black and white. He wants to twist. He'll use scripture. He came to Jesus with the word of God. He came to Jesus with scripture. Hey, throw yourself down from here. For it is written. Ah, remember the word of God. Oh man, Satan... You know, he's talking about the Bible. I guess it's a safe guy to hang around with. No, obviously not. And there's preachers that are not safe to be around either. Well, I hear him preach the word of God. Do you? Is it the word of God in the full context of what the will of the Lord is? So Nehemiah recognizes that the enemy's not looking to reason with him or protect him. The enemy is looking to kill. The enemy is looking for control. The enemy is looking to stop you from being a part of the kingdom work. Satan will take every opportunity he can to pull you out of your calling, your mission of being an effective servant in the kingdom of God. This is what you're called to do. This is your highest and your greatest ministry is serving as a disciple of King Jesus in his kingdom. That is the greatest purpose. I got other stuff I want to do too. Yes, all those things serve into that funnel. All those things serve into the primary objective. Those are spokes of the wheel, but they are not the hub. The hub of your mission is to be a faithful disciple of King Jesus. Well, I got plans right now for the business. As you should. I got plans for retirement. As you should. I got all kinds of plans. As you should. As they all serve into the mission of God. What is that? Making disciples 
for the glory of God, establishing the kingdom of God. And that's the work that Nehemiah was not going to be taken away from. In verse 9, he says, For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. Satan tries to use fear because that's all he's got. He doesn't want the gates built and mounted. He wants you to compromise. He doesn't want you, he didn't want, oh, Voxer, stop. He didn't want you starting that Bible study, Christy. He didn't want you starting one, Mom. There's, you got too much going on. You, can you really do that right now? Let's be reasonable. Be reasonable. There's just so much happening, you know? I, can, can we really do this right now? Can we really, can we really do that right now? Can we really host those people into our home? I don't know. I've got enough going on in my own life, right? That seems fair. Seems, let's be reasonable. Satan is so reasonable, so it would seem. But he wants access. He wants weakness. He wants control. He wants power. He wants to stop the work. If he can't get you to turn your back on the Lord, he's, if he can at least lower your water temperature, if he can at least get you away from, from boiling, he's like, man, you're just too much. Let me just at least make you ineffective. Maybe I can't drag you to hell for all eternity where I'm going to suffer, but if I can at least get you, make you ineffective, if I can at least get you into lukewarm Christianity where you think you're all, your only purpose is to go to heaven when you die, as long as you're not engaged in the fight and actually advancing the kingdom, I, maybe, I can, maybe I can convince Christians that there's such a thing as neutral ground. Hmm. Maybe I could convince American Christians that there's such a thing as like, I'll have my private little Christian life and then I'll have another life all over there and never the two shall meet. Maybe I could get Christians to do that. Yes, now I'm on to something. If I could get Christians to think that, that King Jesus isn't king over everyone, then they'll just think that he's their own private little Jesus and that they shouldn't even dare to tell anybody, that they shouldn't even dare to try and expand his kingdom and his work. Yeah, now I'm getting somewhere. But what does Nehemiah pray? When they're hoping to weaken his hands, Nehemiah prays, Oh God, strengthen my hands. The very thing that they wanted. He said, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to get me to stop the work. He didn't just go back to work. I love Nehemiah. Pray and work, pray and work, pray and work. Oh, I feel weak. Oh, I feel tempted. God, strengthen my hands. Let us establish these gates. Let us finish this work. But this didn't come from nowhere. This didn't come from somebody who didn't know the word of God. This didn't come from somebody who was just hoping for strength in the moment that he needed it. Remember how he started? This was a man who fasted and prayed for months and leading up to this whole mission. Nehemiah is benefiting right now from the fasting and praying from months and months and months earlier. He has laid a foundation for this work because the opposition is serious. But what does he not pray for? This is interesting. Nehemiah doesn't pray for deliverance. Deliverance. That's the thing I always want. Lord, deliver me from this, deliver me from that, deliver me from this. I got a hangnail. Lord, deliver me from it all. That's what I'm looking for. Always, always, always. But why doesn't Nehemiah pray for deliverance from it? He prays to accomplish his duty because his duty is more important to him than his own life. Y'all didn't get that. His duty is more important to him than his own life. We don't value duty, but we should. In the West... Duty. Don't talk to me about duty. I like to talk about calling what I feel called to. But no, no, no. Don't impose any duty on me. 
I don't want to have any obligation. Don't make it sound like I'm obligated to do something. I'll stay with my wife as long as she makes me happy. As long as, you know, as long as it's clicking because it serves me and that's the right thing. No, no, no. I don't want to hear I have a duty as a Christian husband. Don't, don't tell me I have commands. I'm a sovereign individual. I'm, I'm a citizen of the United States of America, by golly. <laughs> this is the very Western perspective. Instead of, no, I, you do have duty. Of course you do. This is the perspective of the Christian worldview. There are obligations. There are callings. There are commands. Jesus is full of them. So Nehemiah embraces the duty. And he doesn't have the attitude that says, I'll give it if I want to, but as long as it doesn't require anything from me. They're hoping my hands will stop the work. God, strengthen my hands for the duty. This is how a soldier prays. 2 Timothy 2.4, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since it is his aim to please the one who enlisted him. I don't know if I signed up for that. Well, welcome to the Christian life. Jesus didn't hide it. He didn't do a bait and switch. Come and follow me. What for? I'll make you fishers of men. That's the work. I don't know if I'm into that. Then you're not into me, because that's my jam. That's my thing. That's what I'm doing. I am the king of everybody everywhere. The world already has a king. The thing the world doesn't yet have is obedient disciples to the king. So this is why the Lord calls us into this work. And this is, of course, why the world fights back, because the world is in rebellion. The world is full of Sambalats and Tobias. What are you trying to do? What are you trying to build? We'll let you have your little church as long as you just do it on a Sunday morning and do your own thing and do your own family. And we're really not okay with that, but we'll let you think we are for, for a while anyway. But don't, don't, don't bring that to us. No, we will. We will. We must because we love you and because we're giving you the better thing. We're not taking something good from you and giving you something worse. Uh, we're encouraging you to actually yield and bend the knee to what's best, which is the will of God for your life. So Nehemiah takes the attitude of a soldier and this is what we're all called to. That soldier doesn't get entangled in civilian pursuits. How, are, how often have you been entangled in civilian pursuits instead of the spiritual calling to aim the one who has enlisted you? I'm distracted, I'm distracted, I'm distracted. Nehemiah's like, I'm not coming out to meet with you. That's civilian stuff. This is civilian drama. Civilians do all that nonsense. A soldier in the battlefield's not worried about how many likes or tweets he got online. A soldier on the battlefield is focused on the mission, destroying the enemy and advancing the good guy's lines. I will not come down. I am doing a great work. God, strengthen my hands. Verse 10. So when I went to the house of this prophet, the son of Deliah, the son of Methabel, who was confined in his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. So now Satan has found his Judas, complete traitor. This is supposed to be a prophet of God. He should be building up. If, the, if he wants to serve the work and encourage the people, pick up a trowel, pick up a brick, and let's build this wall and encourage the people and say, look what the Lord is doing. He's bringing a revival among us. But instead, this is a complete Judas, a total traitor. And like I said, sometimes he'll even use a Peter. And this is just that friend who's just trying to help you get out of your own way. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to help you. For kingdom work, remember. So this is a Christian, a legitimate Christian, 
who's just they they they're being used in this moment. They have they have sin. Satan will, will will take your own weakness. So he'll come with real temptation. That's why he came to Jesus with real temptations. He didn't come to him with things that would have not been a temptation. He comes to you with your real temptation. He came to Peter with a real temptation. Lord, don't die. You can't do this. That was a, it's Peter was thinking he's doing what's best for Jesus. Jesus, I am looking out for you. He grabs him, pulls him aside. You cannot do this. Jesus tells him, I'm doing a great work and I will not come down from it. Get behind me, Satan, is what he said to Peter. That is not very nice, Jesus. I know, he didn't have one of the bracelets yet to tell him how to be a nice guy. Why? Because Jesus was like a good soldier focused on the work. And Peter, in that moment, was not. It doesn't mean he's damned forever and cast away, but he does need to be rebuked in that moment. Peter, you're not thinking about the kingdom. You're thinking about worldly things. You're thinking about temporary things. Well, that really hurt my feelings. Okay, back to my point. You're thinking about worldly things instead of kingdom things. Jesus, that really hurt my feelings. Peter, I feel like you think I'm supposed to, to care about that more than I do. I care about your soul. I care about the work. I care about the mission. And of course, Peter is restored. But it was with strength that he was restored. This is how you have to deal with these situations. You cannot, you cannot play both sides and you cannot talk out of both sides of your mouth. When you're tempted to yield, when you're tempted to back up, when you're tempted to run from battle. And the battle looks different for everybody. For some people, the battle is going to church on a Sunday morning. That is the first battle, making that an immovable tree stump in their life. That is a spiritual battle where it's like, uh, it feels like heaven and earth is fighting against me. As you grow, as you mature, the battle lines will move, but it'll still be, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I I don't know if I should fight here. I don't know if I should fight there. But the, the purpose of the Christian life is to always advance. We want to keep making new progress, but you will always have somebody, whether it's a complete traitor like the Judas or a Peter friend who just doesn't, they're, they're not in the right place in that moment. Just in that moment. They're sinning in that moment. We all sin in different moments, but they're sinning in that moment and they're tempting you. I come to Adam. I'm like, Adam, hey man, pipe down on, on your Jesus stuff. Like, it's cool. No, 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 it's cool. It's totally cool. I just think like when we're hanging out with other people or when we're at the restaurant, like I don't want you talking to the waitress. Like, so like, no, it's cool, dude. It's cool. I, it's totally cool. I'm all for it, Adam. Except that I'm not. But I'm all for it, dude. And now what have I done? I've, I've just planted enough seeds of doubt. Satan is using me in Adam's life. Just a seed of doubt. I didn't say backslide and run from the Lord. But just, let's just, hey man, like, don't you think it would be wise if we, if we prayed and left a big tip? Hey, hey, and put Jesus loves you on it. Bingo. Like now, certainly, like, we've, isn't that the same thing as preaching the gospel? And Adam's like, well, no. Those are good things to do, J.M. I like all of that, but that's not the same thing as preaching the gospel, is it? So I'm just, I'm just trying to bring Adam down a little bit. Just cool the water temperature a little bit, bro. Peter, get behind me, Satan, is what Jesus said. You're a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So what does, what does Nehemiah say to this false prophet? He says, should such a man as I run away? 
What's he doing? He's considering the consequences of it. What would that mean if I were to run away? I'm leading. I'm helping. I'm guiding. I'm literally the governor here. I'm an ambassador, but not for King Artaxerxes. I'm an ambassador for God. I'm a soldier. Nehemiah knows who he is and what he's about. Should I run away? I've been leading the wall. I've been leading for a couple. I've been here for a couple months now, building everybody up, encouraging everybody in the word of God, focusing on the work with my sword, with my tools, building the wall. And now all these people are going to watch me hide in the temple and lock the doors with you. Are you joking? Is that what I'm supposed to do? Am I supposed to run away? I could never. And of course, thank God, Nehemiah knows the word of God. So he knows he's not even allowed to go into the temple and shut the doors. He's not a priest. How could I go into the temple and live? You're telling me to go run for my life. I would die in the presence of God because I'm not a priest. How can I get that kind of discernment, Pastor John Michael? The word of God is how we grow in discernment. If I don't know the word of God, then everything feels complicated. Everything feels difficult. It's Christians who don't spend time in the Word of God who naively say, well, the Bible doesn't get very specific on that, 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 that. That's true. Technically, that's true. However, the wisdom of God emerges from the Word of God, and you still understand His ways and His purposes when you have His Word. So no, you may not have a scripture that says, don't eat Wheaties this morning, instead have toast. However, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit through His Word continues to mature you and train you in His path and in His way. So, yes, Nehemiah technically and literally had, he could point to a verse for why he couldn't do this thing. There's plenty of times where you and I may not be able to point to, do you got a verse for that? But still, as you're full of the word of God, the Holy Spirit lights upon you and you say, I've got clarity. I've got discernment. I've got wisdom. And it's not suspicion. It's not, hmm, but it's actual clarity from the Lord. Should such a man as I run away? No. What's he saying again? I'm doing a great work. I will not come down from it. He said, I understood that my God had not sent him. Whenever you have values that are clear and that are based on the word of God, life becomes so much simpler because your no's become obvious and your yeses become obvious. Things get simple. It is such a gift of freedom to have clear and strong convictions and to have plain values. Like I've told you before, Sunday morning worship, it is an immovable tree stump in the Clark household. It just makes it easy. It just makes things, it's just a simple thing. We don't have to think on a Saturday night, hey, what you feeling like in the morning? Like that, I don't remember last time I even thought that. So what other immovable tree stumps can you put in your life where your convictions are so clear? My marriage, it's, it's an immovable tree stump. My commitment, my vows to my wife, it's an immovable tree stump. So it makes, it makes so many things easy. So the, the high school girlfriend messaging me a messenger, oh, I wonder, maybe I should, goodbye, gone forever. That hasn't happened. She was my high school girlfriend, so, so she's allowed to message me through messenger or any other app you prefer, baby. But having a, a clear and consistent value, it just makes things simple. It makes things easy. And this is what the Lord Jesus requires of us. This is what we see the early church had. Caesar was not requiring them to totally abandon Christianity. The problem with Christianity was that they were saying Jesus is Lord, and that meant that Caesar is not. They would not give their pinch of incense to the false gods. They wouldn't give one inch 
which is why they were fed to lions. Adam, be reasonable, dude. You don't have to get fed to lions. Just, just like offer the pinch of incense to Caesar and we'll go on about our way. You're going to lose your life. Welcome to being a soldier is what Adam would say back. This sounds like extreme Christianity. It's not. It's actually kindergarten Christianity. These are the ABCs of Christianity. Should such a man as I run away? No, when I've got clear principles, we're going to kill you. I wish you wouldn't, but it doesn't change anything for me. You thought that would change something for me? You thought that would change something for me? That's crazy. How have I been living in such a way that you thought you taking my life would get me to back down? I guess I need to double down. Now we're really going to kill you. Well, now I'm really going to win. To die is gain. I understood that God had not sent him. Clarity comes when you have clear convictions. Your no becomes obvious and easy, and you don't have to wrestle. Let me make a pros and a cons list and, and stare at it for 10 years and kick the can down the road. I will not go in. I will not come down from the work. Should such a Christian as you run away, what good works are you doing right now? You're doing some good works. There's some things in your life right now that some of you are tempted to run away from. There's some things in your life right now that Satan's been lying to you, that you've been saying, I need to back away from that. I need to pull away on this. And the Lord is telling you, strengthen your hands. And that needs to be your own prayer. You know what you're supposed to do, but you're tempted away. You know you're supposed to stay in that marriage, but you've got an invitation to leave. You know you're supposed to disciple that person, but you're tempted to give up. You know you're supposed to be in Salt Church, but, 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 God strengthened my hands. Verse 15 and 16. We're going to wrap this thing up. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies had heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and greatly fell in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished by the help of our God. When God's people are faithful, the mission is accomplished and God gets the glory. We have to resist the temptation of the enemy, but the only way to do that is to have our focus on something greater. Many Christians have failed and fallen into sin because their only defense against sin was trying to defend against sin. The only thing, the only weapon they had was a shield. I hope I can hide behind this. Oftentimes, the best defense against sin is actually being on offense for the kingdom. Nehemiah is on offense. He's got something to do. Do you have a work to do? Or is your only defense, I just hope I don't sin today. Maybe I can keep it all at bay. You need a sword. You need something to work at. And when a Christian doesn't have anything to work at, it becomes a dangerous thing. It becomes a situation of King David. In the spring, when kings were away at war... King David that spring, for whatever reason, didn't go away to war. And now he finds himself getting up off of his couch, walking on the rooftop, and looking at naked women taking baths. What was the problem? David's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be at war, David. You're supposed to be expanding the kingdom. But when a man, when a woman, when a Christian gets bored in their walk, it is what it is, I am where I am, you open yourself up. Hey, Satan, pick on me. I got nothing going over here, dude. I'm not on offense. I don't have conviction. Come at me, bro, and I'll I'll do my best. But to have offense to get on to, it is powerful. Jesus showed us that. Jesus is the greater Nehemiah. Nehemiah was building a city, but Jesus is building his entire kingdom. He's building his church. Nehemiah gave himself to the work, and he would not be pulled away from it. Jesus even more so. 
Satan came to him multiple times. He was threatened with violence, with scandal, with rumors, with betrayal, and even a close friend who was deceived temporarily. But Jesus, the greater Nehemiah, was faithful. So even as he hung on a cross, the temptation still came. And he could have, the word tells us, he could have called on 10,000 leagues of angels and delivered himself from the cross. But what did he say? I'm doing a great work. I will not come down. Nobody took his life from him. He laid it down on his own. I'm doing a great work. And they came by and mocked him. Save yourself. Sound familiar? Save yourself. Save yourself. Save yourself. Save yourself, Nehemiah. Protect yourself. Save yourself, Peter. Save yourself, Jesus. And then even his enemies mocking him on the cross. If you're the son of God, save yourself. I'm doing a great work. Saving you from your sins. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't even know. This is my purpose. This is my mission. But it's going to cost you your life. But it pleases the Father. What is my life? If Jesus can lay down his life, what is John Michael's? What is my life? What is yours? Well, my life means a lot to me. I'm pretty fond of mine as well. Don't get me wrong. But if Jesus lays down his life as that model and as that example, not loving his life to the death in the early saints and saints throughout history and saints still today, they don't love their life unto the death, but they're faithful until the end. How much more can I grow in these smaller battles that I'm fighting? How much more can I rise up in strength and do the work that God has called me to do? I am doing a great work. I will not come down. So some of you, you are doing that great work. You're being a great husband. You're being a great wife. You're being a great friend. You're being a great servant in the kingdom. Do not stop the work and stay aggressive on it. The gates of hell, we are told, will not prevail. The gates of hell can't hold back the church. The gates of hell are defensive measures. But the church is to constantly advance. And that's what we're going to do. Exactly like our Lord has modeled for us. And like we've seen as well in the word through Nehemiah. I am doing a great work. I will not come down. Say that with me. I am doing a great work. I will not come down. God, we thank you for the encouragement from your word. You're speaking to all of our hearts. We're all in different places. We're all in different areas of growth and maturity. So help us not to compare to one another, but to ask, what is my next faithful step? Do that now, saints, in your own heart before the Lord. What is my next faithful step, Lord? What does my offense look like? What are you calling me to? Where has the enemy been attacking me, Lord? Where have I been tempted to back off in your kingdom work? And Satan has been trying to come meet with me. Let's reason together. As he whispers his lies like he did to Eve. It's reasonable. Look at the fruit. Seems good for food. Maybe you're missing out on something. Holy Spirit, protect your people. Rise up and be their defense. And also guide them into the offense. Guide them into the aggressive work of the kingdom that glorifies your name, that builds your house, that saves people's lives, that establishes love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control throughout the whole earth. Glorify your name as we build, as we establish, and as we seek to have your will done here on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you for it, Lord. 
In Jesus' name. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine down upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you great peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.